reported uh, earlier this week, wasn't it, that NASA's uh, Voyager probe, I don't know if you saw that, had reached the outer limit of our solar system. It had been travelling for, I think, 36 years, and it had got to that end point. And what did the leading scientist say? Did you hear it? He said the Voyager has moved through the door to eternity. Through the door to eternity. Now, see, nothing has ever reached that point, has it? It's kind of uncharted uh, territory within the kind of physical world. Uh, but you want to throw that question out, is that true? Really? And we've been looking at this amazing chapter of 1 Corinthians 15 over the last three weeks. And it is that threshold from what is known and experienced in this life to the next. It's from finitude to eternity that this chapter is all about. That's what it's all about. Paul began in verses 1 to 11. Why don't you flick back? Just to remind you, you cast your eyes down as we look at it. He began his argument showing the hope of eternity is founded in the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, who went through the door to eternity, a greater door. And Paul makes the point clear that a gospel message without the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ is rendered, or he uses the term useless, to think, empty, really. Gosh, I was at 12, verse 12 through to 34, this is what we looked at last week. Um, he, he, what he did is he took an argument that the Corinthians were, were posing, that is, pointed out in verse 12, but if it's preached that Christ has been raised from death, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of death? He took that argument, if you like, to its logical end. And as you remember last week, the consequences, I think it was seven altogether, they were devastating, pastorally for the people, but also that Christ would not be raised as well. We know some of the Corinthians had gone the way of the Greeks. They, they believed in the immortality of the soul, but they were going against apostolic teaching that we would bodily be raised. And Paul's response was that if you remove the resurrection from what we believe, you have, as I've said, an empty gospel. And he goes even further, doesn't he? In verse 19 he says, we would be to be pitied more than all men if we are Christians. So Paul has pointed out the hope uh, of the resurrection for those who are in Christ. He then, in that second section, made clear of the timings of the resurrection, how it all kind of wove together. But how? That's the kind of question you're left with, isn't it? How are the dead raised? And that's where we get to, verse 35. How are the dead raised? It's the first of two questions that Paul responds to. The second is there as well in verse 35. Two questions to begin with, and he works them through. Look at the second. With what kind of body will they come? That is, with what kind of body will they be raised? There's no immediate answer, actually, to the first question. Later in uh, verse 52, cast your eyes down there, and Paul says the dead will be raised imperishable. But this is kind of... <laughs> No answer without understanding what he's, he, he said before. You, you don't fully get it just with that one statement. The imperishable language only becomes clear by the answering of this next question regarding the body, the second question of verse 35. And this is one reason Paul chooses to defer answering this question, but he also defers because he, he, he's already assumed a great deal of knowledge in his readers, uh, of the Corinthians, throughout this letter regarding these kind of questions. Paul uses this phrase, doesn't he? In Christ. 
again and again and again. He uses it here and shows that he expects an understanding for those of us who are Christians and for the Christian readers here as well. That the in Christ phrase means that there is a union of faith between those of us who have trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ and himself. And that union will one day be responsible for raising the dead in Christ. So how are the dead raised? Well, Paul is saying, I'll come to that later, but you know already that the, those in Christ will be raised because they are bound to him through faith. It's like dried Weetabix to a kind of cereal bowl. You know the feeling? They're absolutely bound. Utterly impossible to get, you know, it's inseparable. Yeah, that was just my experience this week, but there we go. <laughs> Yet our union in Christ, it will mean that we are totally inseparable, both in life today but also through death, through that door to eternity. So when the dead in Christ are raised, the bond continues, and it continues eternally. Paul continues along these lines uh, in answering the following question. So we get to the, that second question of our kind of introductory points there. With what kind of body will they be raised? The question is so ridiculous, though. Look how Paul responds to it. It's interesting, isn't it? In verse 36, how foolish. And it's really the equivalent of saying, have you lost your senses, you fools? He's really gone, he really pushed it to the outer limit of, not abuse, but it's really kind of derogatory there. And he's saying really, he's pointing back to the fool of the Old Testament, who's the one who does not take account of God in any realm of their life. Look at Paul's, it continues on, doesn't he? What you sow does not come to this, to, uh, sorry, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. What he's saying, that agricultural kind of setting, okay, that he's speaking into here, he's saying, in other words, you hold, as you sow seeds, you hold in the palm of your hands the question, sorry, the answer to the question you're posing. Uh, and this is the question from the Corinthians that lies behind all their doubts about the resurrection of the dead. It is the material body which they are most interested in. And this is actually shown by the language use and the change of language use through this, from these verses previous to this and verses after this. All the way before this, the, the word dead is being kind of pointed by Paul and, and, and through this letter. But here now the emphasis is on body. That occurs now ten times in this section, verse 35 following. Hadn't been used once before. And more importantly though, we, we, we can see this question is key to the Corinthian mind because the, their attitude towards their present bodies, which has been a major issue throughout the whole of this letter. They wanted to deny the, um, the, the continuity between the present and future bodies because it would then just give them an utter license to do whatever they wanted today with their bodies. They thought whatever they do, oh, it would come out in the wash of death. Everything would be sorted. The thought of resurrection was kind of their worst nightmare. And it would be, the, it would be a great evidence to their godless lives. And Paul's response here is to show that 
the very point of continuity from, from present to future was with the body. It wasn't just the soul. It was the body as well. Against, obviously, Greek thought at the time. And this continuity was crucial because it was the continuity that Christ has shown. Remember back in those early verses of this chapter? He died. And what happened? He was buried as evidence of that death. And he was then raised. Evidenced in his appearing. He went through the door to eternity. So with what kind of body would be raised in that question? They'll be raised with, as we point out now in our first main point, they'll be raised with this imperishable body. Those united to Christ, the body that died will continue imperishable as it is raised. Now that is the conclusion. Paul is now going to spend a whole deal of verses getting to that conclusion, which we're going to try and work through. I suppose like most of us, the, the Corinthians pictured kind of corpses being reanimated, like some scary, horror, scary kind of horror movie. So they kind of dismissed the possibility of, a, of continuity with the body from being dead and then being raised. But Paul insists death will not be the end. He's saying here that resurrection means a transformation of the body we have now. And Paul illustrates this transformation and continuity with these agricultural pictures of seed. And then we see, he also uses the, the phrase, and the body of the seed as well. So look at verse 36. He says, the seed is sown as it's placed in the ground. That's the image of, of kind of death there. And, and it transforms. It gives a body to the seed. It gives a crop, essentially. See, the very same seed that, that dies in the ground is raised in its transformed state, its transformed mode, you might say. Here, for us, a transformed body. Paul is just saying that with this agricultural picture, the same is true for you guys. We who die will be raised to life, but transformed into a different state uh, or form. And God can do that. And what he's saying is, the evidence is in your hands. Seed. Everyday picture. But Paul's greater concern is, is not just the possibility of resurrection. He wants to stress that the body that is resurrected is, is transformed in, in this miraculous way. So he goes on. And this can get a little bit confusing. He shows that there are earthly bodies and shows distinctions between men, animals, birds, fish. And, and then in verse 41, heavenly bodies, sun, moon, and stars. And, and Paul is showing in those verses that in this transformation, God is fully, fully sovereign and providing the transformation that occurs in all of these, both earthly and heavenly um, uh, bodies. And he can bring them from one magnitude of life to a greater magnitude of life, a, a different, a, and he compares as well, you've got a tiny bird to the, the, the sun in the sky, and he says there are different kinds of splendor in those bodies as well. The point being, God has control over all of it, over all of the transformation that can occur. So Paul is kind of firstly opening up their horizon to the possibility of resurrection. But now he pushes it further to show life, heavenly life, going through that door to eternity. It means transformation. 
It has to occur. And he kind of finalizes that argument. Look down to verse 42. There he says, so it will be with the resurrection of the dead. The body is sown perishable and it is raised imperishable. And the analogy of the seed, uh, the seed is, is used to show that um, continuity. The body remains, yes it does, but it is transformed. It moves from one mode of existence, that is a perishable existence, to this new existence, the imperishable existence. And you see that again in verse 42 to 44, it's kind of mapped out there. Now, the Corinthians would have understood this to, to a degree. They understood human frailty and the perishable nature of the human body. I guess if you're anything like me, you ache a bit sometimes. You know, there's something wrong. You see perishability every morning as you look in the mirror. Well, certainly I do. They would have seen that decay. And they would have seen it all the more in the death of their loved ones around them. Hence, actually, why they were so disenchanted with life and the prospect of death throughout the whole letter. It transformed pretty much the whole of their church and their lives. But what the Corinthians have failed to recognise is that the transformation, this is something that God will definitely affect in their lives. But he has shown them this power and they just weren't picking up the fact that he'd given them a blueprint in his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, as he had transformed, transformed from death to life. And they just hadn't made the connection. So with what kind of body will they be raised? They will be raised with an imperishable body. Like Christ. It will exhibit, as we see in verse 43, glory and power. That is in the present state. It is natural. We are natural But we will, if we trust in Christ, if we are in Christ, we will be transformed to a spiritual body. Now, the critical thing here, it's a difficult word to translate, but the critical thing is we're not immaterial. That's sometimes how we think of spiritual, don't we? Something that's immaterial. That's Greek thought here. Biblical thought says we're not just spirit-like when we are raised. Rather, we are supernatural. That is spirit transformed. Now the weight of this kind of truth would have utterly rocked the Corinthians. As they believed actually that they were already in this kind of spiritual state. We mentioned that two weeks ago. It's kind of an over-realisation of today. You can see that in chapters 12 and 14 and how they exhibit gifts. And that has kind of blurred their understanding of what today looked like as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. But you see, if only the soul passed through to eternity to receive a new heavenly uh, kind of state transformation, there, there would be no continuity. Well, where would the body go? And also, a link in the gospel chain of the historical events forged by the Lord Jesus Christ will be broken. Where we see that continuity. They're the same body that died is raised, spirit transformed, and now imperishable. But Paul continues to show that although it is transformed, it also, and we come to that little sub-point there, it bears the likeness of the imperishable man. 
So verse 44 concludes all those comparisons that Cindy read so well, actually. Um, he, Paul makes between there, doesn't he, between how a body is sown and how it is raised and, and, and then transformed. So this is concluded in verse 44. If there is a natural, that is, perishable body, there is also a spiritual, imperishable body. But then Paul turns, doesn't he, back as he did in verse 21. Cast your eyes down there if you want to. He begins to use this analogy of the first Adam, that is the Adam we read of in Genesis at the beginning of creation, and the second Adam, as he's known, that is the Lord Jesus Christ. Why does he do that? He does that to show that the body raised to new life will bear the likeness of the one who has been raised already. That is the Lord Jesus Christ. So now we are like the first Adam. We are living beings. This is how we're born. This is our first state. This is our, as Paul says here, our natural state. But I think verse 48 is key here. For through faith in Jesus Christ, we who are now in him, bound to him, inseparable kind of from him, one day we will know what is completely true for him. We will know as completely true for us too. Verse 49, and just as we have borne the likeness of the earthly man, that is Adam, first Adam, so we shall bear the likeness of the man from heaven. That is the Lord Jesus Christ. That is spirit transformed, belonging to heavenly glory for eternity. So going back to the initial question of verse 35, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? Verse 50, Untransformed people cannot inherit the kingdom of God and they will not be raised. It's not a direct answer, is it? But Paul is saying, uh, we as humanity, bearing the likeness of Adam, we must be changed. We've got to be changed. If we're going to see God face to face in heavenly glory, if we're going to go through the door of eternity and see his shining brilliance for eternity... Then we have, we have to be changed, transformed from perishable to imperishable. Paul kind of goes on to explain this now in our second point, in these last verses in verse 51 through to 57. The mystery of verse 51 is, is not kind of the, the mysterious secret, it's not Scooby Doo territory. I could have brought the little Thing out. We, we saw a little Scooby-Doo uh, van out there earlier in the box. But it's not mystery ink or anything like that. It's not you know, scary kind of spooky things here. The mystery is more like an open secret that Paul has been whispering into the ears of his listeners for the last few verses. If you are in Christ, you will be changed. If you're in Christ, you will be changed. As we stand at the door to eternity, Paul wants to make sure that we are clear. If we're in Christ, then we, like him, will go through that door to eternity to be with God face to face, enjoying his presence and glory and care forever. 
Look at the promises of the gospel in these verses. We will be changed or transformed. We see that in verse 51. And the lovely word there, changed, um, in its original, it's, it, it's in its kind of passive tense there. That is, in, its, in the way that it's written, it's beautiful. It's saying, nothing to do with you. It's passive. It's all to do with God's power. He's the one that will change us. He's the one that transforms us through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and trusting in him. Look at those other little words of the, uh, in verse 51 there. In a flash, it says. Uh, the word there is atomos. So it's a, we get our word atom there in our language. That is, he's saying it's too small a period of time to divide. It's the twinkling of, our, of an eye he puts down there. Immediate. We're clothed, it says as well, in verse 53. Such is God's kindness that we will be, and I, I, I got this from a scholar I was reading this week, he said, never be found left in the old rags of this existence. It's a beautiful, beautiful little phrase. Never be found in the left, sorry, never be found left in the old rags of this existence. We're clothed. We're clothed by God. I like the way that Charles Wesley puts this and it kind of sums it up in that great old hymn, Love Divine. Change from glory into glory till in heaven we take our place, till we cast our crowns before thee, lost in wonder, love and praise. And so clothed by God, clothed in his son's perfect life and his victorious resurrection, what was once spoken of in, in the Old Testament with, with this air of mystery can now be sung with utter certainty in the hearts of those with faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Even as we gasp our last breaths. Look at the song. And I think it is a song, but scholars can kind of point it that way. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, oh, death is your sting? Death is like the school ground bully, you know, school playground bully. Who, you know, the kids are just, you know, they're back into a corner, get out of his way. You know, they, they're just so frightened of him, they cower until the stronger one comes and defeats him. The sting of death is defeated. And this isn't referring to the physical pain of death, that is a, a reality but to the sting of unforgiven sins, which are exposed by God's perfect law, we see there. See, the ultimate pain of any of us in death is to die unforgiven. But, as we conclude, thanks be to God, because he gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So I, I, I want to finish this way. Um, what will be your song at death and through life, to be honest? Is it this? Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? Secure in the knowledge that Jesus has gone through the door to eternity, defeating death and the sting of death for all who dare to trust in him. Is that going to be your song? sung securely throughout your life or will you sing another song even up to the point as you take your last breath now I asked a couple of the guys 
James and Linda and a few others, if they could just give me some songs, it kind of just typifies the kind of the nature of hopelessness in the culture around us. And I thought actually some of the most striking lyrics that they sent to me was this one, Eleanor Rigby by the Beatles. Last verse. And the problem with it is it's such a chirpy, uh, chirpy tune, isn't it? It's really bright and lovely. Last verse. Eleanor Rigby died in the church where, and was buried along with her name. Nobody came. Father Mackenzie wiping the dirt from his hands as he walks from the grave. No one was saved. All the lonely people, where do they all come from? All the lonely people, where do they all belong? Yeah, it couldn't get more depressing and hopeless. You see, if, if you belong to the Lord Jesus Christ, if you are in him, you belong to him. You have your belonging there and will always be with him. You have hope and assurance. Christians, we, we do not trust in an empty gospel. We trust in a resurrection gospel. And it's based utterly on evidence. The evidence that Jesus Christ rose from the dead and he appeared to thousands upon thousands of people over a prolonged period of time. But look how this epic chapter ends. It ends with life. Life now. Uh, the application is really simple. He tees it up. He's done 57 verses. One verse, if you like, of really direct application. Look at it with me, if you can. Verse 58. Therefore, he says, my dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labour in the Lord is not in vain. And here's where we finish. Because this is, this is how we step out tomorrow. This is how we work throughout the week. This is how we live throughout the following year and decade until we take that last breath. Look at it, Christians. We're brothers, it says. Dear brothers. Brothers and sisters, of course. And the point is there, he's, he's, he's mentioning the plurality of, of, of us sat here. The point being, you're not alone. You don't walk out alone. You walk with him. You're in him. And we walk together. That's why we're going to do home groups this year. Look at it, stand firm together. You're not to be moved, it's a very strong word this one. You're not to be moved from your faith. We're to work as a team, literally to fight off anything that would undermine your trusting both your life today and your death to Jesus. Look at it, it goes there's let nothing move you. And that kind of culminates that, that all the defensive strategy, if you like, of Paul in this amazing chapter of 1 Corinthians, let nothing move you. But now he turns to, if you like, the offensive strategy. Look at it. Give yourselves fully. Give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord. You know what that looks like. Your time, your money maybe, uh, your relationships, the work that you do, the kind of the office relationships that you have. Jesus, you give him everything. 
because he's your Lord and King and you owe him your life. But most of all, I think critical here, you give yourselves fully. What's the one thing that we've missed out there? It's your heart. You give him your heart. And some of us might be holding back on that one. I think it's the thing we struggle to relinquish the most, isn't it? To give our all. But it's the thing that he wants more than anything else. You see, we can all just be regular attenders at church. Oh, we might even give our money sacrificially. We may yeah, go to home group every week, be the most regular attender of that. Do our prep, go to the blog. You know, we, we've done our sheets of prep. You know, it's been brilliant. But if things aren't done your way sometimes, if you're not able to do everything you want, what do you do? Or you might continue everything, you might, but you'll come begrudgingly. You might give yourselves partially in, in, in the way that you serve the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because your heart is not there. Give yourselves fully, he says. And when you can do this, you will know that it will not be in vain, but rather God promises that it will be for his kingdom. That is, it will be for his pleasure and glory. Christians, let me summarise this. One day, we will be raised and transformed and imperishable and we'll be with Christ in glory. And we are to look to that day. We're to live tomorrow in the light of that day. We're to serve Christ and his church in the light of that day. Singing that song of victory as you take every breath until your last breath, where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? But what if you're not a Christian here today? My question is this, what song will you sing? What song will you sing? Don't be an Eleanor Rigby. Lonely for eternity. Not knowing where you belong. The first one who opened the door to eternity is the one who walks straight through it. Can I implore you, trust him. Trust him. With your life and with your death. And say with us who are in Christ, those final words, thanks be to God, because he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray as we close. Heavenly Father, we are Christians here. Uh, we want to rejoice. We want to praise you. Because these truths, not only um, as we lie on a bed, probably in pain, and gasp for our last breath, they, they give us great assurance and hope then. But tomorrow they make a difference. And we thank you for that. Because we know that uh, we will one day be raised, like you, imperishable. And we will walk through that door to eternity. Lord, that, that transforms everything. And we thank you for that. But there'll be some here, I guess, who, who aren't trusting you as Lord and Saviour. That they want to hold the reins of their lives. And they think they've got their death in their hands. But please, help them to understand that it is only through the Lord Jesus Christ that the sting of death 
that unforgiven sin can be dealt with. And only in trusting his death on the cross, where he took the punishment for our sin, can they sing this wonderful song, Where a death is your sting, where a death is your victory. Thanks be to God. We do thank you, our Lord and Heavenly Father. Amen.